0: We use 84a as our uh, call to worship, and now we see what's being accomplished in our worship, accomplished through Christ. It's described then um, from the New American Standard: they go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. We're told that as we are worshiping, as we have been called by Christ, we will be advancing. From strength to strength. Now what is our definition, our understanding of the strength that we will be advancing in? It's not a a dominance over one another, but it's the strength of Christ, which is a dominance over sin. A dominance over sin in our own lives. A dominance over the struggles and the shadows that we are facing in the world. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. We see the heart of Christ and the spirit of Christ, which has penned these words, which is the same spirit that you and I have been given. When we have these words in our hearts, when we sing them from our hearts, we're singing by the Holy Spirit the words of Christ. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look on the face of your anointed. Your anointed, that's Messiah, that's Christ. This picture that Jesus is uh, is our shield or on our shield, that we are protected from the wrath and the judgment of God. Even as we would see ourselves in our own guilt, we can say, Lord, look on our shield. See the face of your anointed. That is, I have been rescued. I am saved. I am blessed. I am covered. We then reflect on the beautiful place again within God's household. If a day in your courts is better than a thousand out, outside, I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. And here we had Christ called our shield, and here we have God called our shield. Jesus, equality with God. He is God. The Lord gives grace and glory. In our sad position, we make this good testimony still. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And we say, O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. If you're trusting in Christ, you're announcing this blessing on yourself. By the word of God. If you are in Christ, you hear the whole assembly Announcing this blessing on you. You are blessed in Christ Jesus if you trust in him. And in this place of blessing, we understand the reality and the truth that we will be advancing from strength to strength even as we move through sorrow. Let's stand and sing together Psalm 84 B.
1: La, 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 mm. la. And then from strength to strength, Take over other pilgrims' heart, to each is I and come that way, And stand before the face of God. Lord God, up most my plea, day comes God to me, give ear. And look, O oh God, upon our shield, the face of your anointed you. One day within your courts will you, Lord, could that Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: sermon this morning comes from 1st Timothy. I'll be preaching from chapter 6. I'm just going to take a couple steps back to read a verse from chapter 3. Chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15, and I'll move forward to chapter 6, starting with verse 3 there. It's a blessing when we have the, the books of the Bible, and there's a description in there exactly why that book was written for us it gives us a helpful context to read through and say this is why jesus is saying this to me here this is how i know how to respond we see the heart of christ that paul had been given chapter 3 verse 14 i'm writing these things to you hoping to come to you before long it is the heart of christ for us to dwell together and him to dwell in our midst It is a a beautiful thing when we remember that and when we think in those terms. Jesus wants us together. He wants us with him. He wants us caring for each other, supporting each other, blessing each other, singing the word upon one another. Hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Take that idea of the household of God for a moment. Maybe you've known households that were strong. Maybe you come from a household that isn't strong, but those strong households, those households that have a sense of identity, a family name or a family crest or a family motto. You look at people, you see their identity, you recognize who they are. How one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, and the support of the truth. What an amazing household you have been placed in. The household of God, the church, the, the pillar, and the support of the truth. Now, moving forward to our specific instruction now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. now we come to a, a but now so we've been given a, a category We've been given a place to look at, a place to flee from, and now we're given this further instruction, starting in verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment "...without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will bring about at the proper time, He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen." Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for amazing instruction from your word, showing us that which we are to flee, that which we are to pursue this great and beautiful picture of what it means to take hold of the eternal life which has been purchased for us in Christ Jesus, that you would be blessed, that you would be glorified as we see how we are to conduct ourselves in your household, in the church of the living God. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This command that we are to fight to fight. I, I say with a, a little bit of pride, and pr- maybe even sinfully so, I come from a family of scrappers. I come from a family of fighters. I think my grandma, maybe more than she said, I love you, shouted, take it outside.
1: <laughs>
0: my family would display with pride the place where Uncle Bill had put Uncle Bob's head through the wall multiple times. There's a, a famous story of my grandmother shouting to my grandfather, Amos, Amos, Bill is chasing Bob with a baseball bat. If he casually slept on the couch, he responded, Bill can't catch Bob. <laughs> and he continued on in his rest. This picture and this description for us that we are to be in this a place of fighting, but the good fight Not a place of subduing one another or establishing a dominance. Not a war that we're hoping to beat each other and demonstrate ourselves stronger or having more worth or having more value. But we look here and we see how this fight is being described, starting again in verse 11. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And then that's being labeled as this. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We as church members, limbs, parts of one another, we have made this good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We have stood together and we have stood before the assembly and we say, I believe the word of God to be the only infallible rule for faith and life. We have confessed ourselves as sinners and in need of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have pledged to move forward. In love for God and love for one another, we have vowed and we have said, I will accept correction and doctrine and life where my life is off. We stand on a firm foundation, the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. We stand in a a beautiful place, in a strong place, committed to Christ, his word, and committed to one another. We are described as living stones being built together into a temple of worship. And take a second and picture the bricks on a wall, how each brick is supported by two, has one on either side and is supporting supporting two others. This is the picture Of the church where we stand and on this foundation we are told that we are struggling we are fighting and we are to be fighting this good fight fleeing some things pursuing others now everyone here has run at some point in their lives you know it's hard It's a struggle after not very long as you run. Don't you feel that same strain in your Christian life? Don't you get to places where you're strained to breathe, where you feel like you can't go on any further? Like the the very end of any race, you just start thinking, this is stupid. Would it even matter if I quit? Doesn't that translate the struggle, the battle that we have in the world, in the church, in our house, and in our own hearts? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by these feelings. Don't be surprised by this experience. Know that Christ has always been aware. That this would be the case for each of you when we grieve when we're striving we are near Christ didn't Christ grieve for the church didn't Christ grieve for his closest friends didn't Christ even grieve in the Garden of Gethsemane when he saw what he himself would be facing When you grieve, you're taking a closer step to Christ. When you're grieving for righteousness, when you're grieving from your place of need, and in this place and from this place, we're actually called to move forward, to be battling against the sin of our own heart first, to labor and service for our house, for our church. And for the world so the call for you this morning is battling as you go take hold of this eternal life our first step is charge after righteousness from verse 11 but flee from these things you man of God and pursue righteousness. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I submit to you, everyone who is born again, hungers and thirsts for righteousness. I invite you to consider the hungriest you've ever been the most thirsty you've ever been i um i chose to be a vegetarian when i was um just out of high school i think because i i lost an argument with my brother <laughs> and i don't know how long i went without eating meat but i started getting these weird experiences and these strange cravings i wasn't doing it right it's back when telephones had cords on them i found myself sitting in the living room chewing on a phone cord <laughs> and there was Something missing from my diet. I was driving to my parents who lived in the country, and I just vaguely remember seeing a bunch of turkey cross the road. Next thing I remember, I was running through the woods with a rock in my hand. I was hungry for something that I was missing. As we look at the world and we see their um, bizarre pursuits, how hard They run after gratification and satisfaction, self-exaltation. They're hungering for something. I invite you, I urge you to consider your own life. What are your aimless distractions that you're running after to pursue, to medicate yourself? We are a people of self-medication we were really hungry for Christ. We we're really hungry for righteousness. We see that we are being given this instruction in verse 13. I don't imagine Paul could have come up with any stronger language at this point. The world uses profanity for exclamation points. Here we have Paul and the strongest exclamation point that I can imagine him coming up with. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm standing with God right now. I'm standing by him. I'm standing with Christ Jesus who is giving you life and giving life to everything that lives. And I am charging you I'm demanding, I'm giving you this battle cry to run away from these things and to be running for righteousness. This is how one is to conduct themselves within the household of God. It should be no surprise to us. But there is to be a righteousness in the household of God, a righteousness that, that is within the church. When Paul preached in Acts 17, verse 31, he's describing this call to faith and repentance. And he says it because he has fixed. God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The God of life. Of all power, of all authority, will judge in righteousness. Now, imagine you, like me, you've been in a position in your life where you were about to be found out. You've lived in a place of fear where you have sinned and you were scared who was going to know. When someone would say, We need to talk. You think, oh no. Jesus is going to judge the one who knows the thoughts of all men. We're called into this place of righteousness. When Paul was preaching to Felix in Acts 24 24 through 25, Felix was having a great time listening to Paul. He enjoyed what kind of speaker he was. Paul was Very, very gifted. He had um, great oratory skills. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for now. And when I find time, then I'll summon you. There's a tension involved with righteousness and the pursuit of it. This is why Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness. Our next step, number two, is charge after godliness. Again, from verse eleven, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness and godliness uh we you may say, what's the difference Godliness, righteousness there's definitely some overlap there sometimes in the Jewish language, as they're making arguments, they'll say several things, and we shrug and say, why?" Why did you say all of those things? Aren't those all just the same thing? How do we deal with that? I look at them sometimes as nails in a board. You know, the board's the main thing, and he takes these nails and he drives it in, and he drives it in, and he drives it in. There's not necessarily the same thing, but there's these overlaps that give us the impression of what's important and what we're to focus on. And tonight we'll look more closely at this godliness. The godliness really is a heart response to God. We're responding to him because we have been loved. A godliness that loves because we have been loved. Not a checklist that we are able to demonstrate our own righteousness to show people, I may be bad, but at least I'm not as bad as you. But a godliness that wants to glorify Christ a heart that wants to glorify him because he has loved us so we'll take this that that ring that's tied to the next ring where there's some lovely overlap and move to our third step which is charge after faith again from verse 11 but flee from these things you man of God and pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith. Faith, uh, it's confused in this world. Uh, There's a a general spirituality that people talk about. I've had many people, one is a, a, a reasonably close friend of mine now. He said he's not religious, but he's spiritual. And I say, I don't think there's a real distinction spiritual or, or faith, allowing scripture to interpret scripture, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, as opposed to a worldly or cultural definition of faith, which looks something like believing something even though you know it's not true, or a wishful thinking, or an optimism. Faith, as it's described in scripture, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, or the conviction that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith, true faith, is believing what God has said. He has said it. I know that it will be so. Regardless of the present circumstances, I know that it will be so. Regardless of my short or small perspective, I know that it will be so. I'm amazed here in Colorado at the difference in perspective and what it tells you. I can be in Monument and look at Mount Hermon and say, oh, yeah, I can get up there. I could march straight up that thing. And then from there, I could go along the ridge all the way up to the Palmer Reservoir. No problem, based on my perspective in Monument. When I try to go straight up Mount Hermon, I find that it's very different. When I even do get there by taking the the correct route, and I look, it turns out there is not a ridge that runs straight from Mount Hermon all the way to the Palmer Reservoir. There's deep chasms in between our little world and our little perspective. It's as if we're just standing in monument, and we can say, oh, yeah, I understand this. I got this. I know how things should be. We even look around and we might stomp our foot and say, what in the world is God thinking? Because clearly, I could march straight up Mount Herman and hike straight to Palmer Reservoir from there. Faith, we know he has the greater perspective. God has the greater perspective. When we say, I hear you and I believe you. My circumstances now might hurt, but I hear you, and I believe you. It would make more sense for me to hike straight up this mountain, but I'm going to take this path that you have prescribed. I hear you, and I believe you. This is where you are. As believers, who know Christ, who love Christ, who have said, I believe the word of God to be the only infallible rule for faith in life. I will do these things that you have said. Faith is conviction that God is. This assurance of things hoped for, that he has promised the conviction of things unseen. Our next step, number four, is charge after love. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, when Jesus describes the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the the prophets. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. I've kind of recoiled at that over the years because uh, it resonated with me when I was an obnoxious teenager. I remember my mother having um, forbid me from participating in some activity. And when she told me she was sorry, I said, you're not sorry. If you're sorry, you'd let me do it. And she said, I disagree with you. It's almost, if you love me, you would let me do it. When Jesus says to us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus isn't a snotty teenager when he's speaking there. He's not this snotty individual trying to manipulate us. He's saying, if you're in this place, if you actually love me, from this place of affection, from this place of knowing my love, Loving me because I first loved you, you will be in this place of faith to do what I have commanded, understanding that my commandments are love, very different, very different perspective, very different motivation. Romans 1, 9, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my, is my witness to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Consider the change in Paul. He's described as breathing out murderous hatred for the church before he was a believer, and at least to this place of the deepest affection for the church, a place of deep love. I'm urging you to this place and to this heart of Christ, now, what is this love? I grew up in a, a culture that uh, you were always looking for the one. You desperately wanted to be in love. You, were, you desperately wanted someone to be in love with you. You were always running after that love. And the, the pattern of my life and the pattern of the culture that I lived in, you would find someone that you thought was the one. And then they would be your girlfriend. And then three months later, they would stop making you happy. And you would say, well, clearly, not the one. So you would break up with them. And thus, we then have our pattern of divorce in our lives. You're not making me happy. I'm moving on. We have the pattern of church divorce. You're not making me happy. I'm moving on. Love is commitment. I say a biblical love is a commitment to someone's eternal good. Doesn't John 3.16 to demonstrate that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that love an eternal commitment? As we use 1 Corinthians 13 very often in marriage services, we don't see a love that's being just gratified or that we're being made to feel good. Love is patient. She should just stand here for a long time and test your huh? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong-suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's not a feeling. It's that commitment. A commitment. A commitment to Christ, his church, that is a commitment to one another. Now, because this will be so hard, we move to our fifth step, which is charge with perseverance. Verse 11 again, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance. Jesus made that statement that I find shocking and, and troublesome in Matthew 24:13. But the one who endures to the end... He will be saved. When I uh, I started, I was, I put on a lot of weight in seminary, like 50 pounds. And then I started running after that. And uh, eventually I heard about Dave Reese running 50 miles. I found it irksome.
1: <laughs>
0: I was disturbed. It just struck me as just so, so wrong
1: <laughs>
0: that such a thing could happen. Uh, but I run stupid far now, too. And there's a place in running stupid far that I call grit mode, where it hurts so bad. But you have to put yourself in the place where that doesn't matter. That's not the main thing. Your comfort is not the main thing. Your comfort in your marriage. Your comfort with your family. Your comfort with the church. Your comfort with Christ's commands. Is not the main thing. We are to be fleeing this selfishness and running towards this commitment to this true love, a commitment to Christ's glory, a commitment to one another's eternal good, this perseverance. It is the scripture that informs us of this path, this eternal path. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. All flesh like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which I preached to you. We are in a place of stated commitment and necessary commitment, necessary perseverance sometimes is going to hurt as we fight the good fight in this world. Now, when we hurt, it's easy to lash out when we're striving, For this perseverance, it's easy to hurt the people around us. So our sixth step is commit to gentleness. Verse 11. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. How gentle has Christ been with you? How much have you been forgiven? One of the, the strains that I have been dealing with in the last month and months is um, being feel feeling like I have been so badly treated. And one day I realized that any offense that I have felt or even any offense that even has been real towards me or upon me, I have offended Christ far more. He's forgiven me far more. And I am to forgive as I have been forgiven. When we understand the weight or the burden of the sin that Christ bore, your sin that he bore on the cross, isn't it easier to bear with the sins and the affronts of others that we may be gentle? The picture from Christ in Philippians 2 5 through 8. Having this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not re- regard equality with God to be a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We are being described here in verse 11 of our text as men of God or people of of God. We are his people, members of his family, members of his household. We understand from that place then that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We follow Christ. So we live in this place of battle and strain. We live in this place of fighting the good fight. And we do so as we are identifying with Jesus Christ, who loved us, who gave up himself for us. So standing with Christ, I charge you, fight the good fight of faith. Stand firm in the gospel. Lay hold of this eternal life that was purchased for you by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, our Lord, and all the earth, how excellent is your name. We rejoice in you and we thank you for having revealed yourself to us, who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. We position ourselves, Lord, to follow you, rejoicing in you, bearing in our struggles with perseverance, and we will love you, obeying you, and that we will love one another, following Jesus Christ and emptying ourselves. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to pull a quick audible and switch to Psalm 23. You which selection do you prefer, Greg, as your product?
1: Psalm
0: 23B. We respond to the word. We respond to Christ as our good shepherd. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because he is with us. And he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's stand and sing Psalm 23.